Hey everybody, welcome back to the Growth for Educators podcast. Thank you for joining us for episode three. We've uh, been on a bit of a hiatus um, for a few reasons. One, the holidays, things got busy around here with travel. Had a uh, death in our family with my uncle passing away. And and so that just kind of created some obstacles that I uh, felt like we needed to take care of some other things and um, and then get back into this. And and uh, I'm so happy to come to you today and talk about the things that I've kind of lined out. Um, there's been a lot going on in the world of education and, 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 and personal development in my world. And uh, so I kind of wanted to jump right in and, and talk about some of those things uh, today. Today is January 2nd, so Happy New Year's to everyone who um, has made it this far. Um, most of you are starting back for second semester. Um, you may have started today with some professional development or time in your classroom. Many of you are starting tomorrow the third and carrying into the fourth and then students coming back on the seventh. Um, and some of you aren't going back until next week, which is pretty awesome. So <clears throat> I uh, developed a bit of a head cold and a chest cold the last few days. So my throat is not necessarily top, top notch. Um, Got a big bottle of water here, so I'll be chugging on that throughout the throughout this episode. I am also joined today by my children who are off from school, so we're going to give this a go. The last two episodes I've recorded here at home with nobody here, and absolute silence except for my dogs. Um, so we've got Fortnite going in the basement, hoping that keeps them pretty busy, although my 11-year-old Chase just popped in. I think he's curious. Uh, you want to say hi? Hi. He said hi. Um, <clears throat> so he's definitely curious about this whole podcast thing and uh, what, I, what I'm what i talking about. He likes to hear me talk. I know that. Yeah. Not really. He tells me to be quiet all the time. Um, so, uh, so over my holiday break, uh, I invested in a condenser mic so hopefully I didn't really like the way things sounded recording off of my cell phone which is to be expected it's a cell phone you don't get the highest quality materials out of that so I invested a little bit of money a whopping $35 in a desk mounted condenser mic it looks cool if nothing else if it doesn't sound any better man it looks cool it's gold it's got one of those fancy discs in the front of it that I think helps filter sound or bounce back or something. I'm not really sure exactly what it does, but when I was testing it, the playback I was getting, it did sound much better. Um, a lot of the white noise in the background had been reduced because of, I believe, this microphone. So, And I'm recording my computer now instead of my cell phone. So trying to make this a better quality for you guys and so that I can feel better about it. Uh, so let's jump right in today. Uh, today we're going to talk about why you should leave the classroom. And for most educators, we get into this profession thinking, I'm going to make a career out of this. I'm going to put in my 85 in Kansas. That's our number. 85 is our years of experience plus our age. Once we hit that magic number of 85, then we are eligible, fully vested and eligible for retirement from CAPERS, which is Kansas, Kansas uh, Public Employee Retirement System, I think is what it stands for. And uh, <clears throat> financial pillar is another piece that we're not really going to get into today, but that CAPERS system is what a lot of educators bank on. 
And uh, I think, unfortunately, if, if things continue to move in the way they are, um, CAPERS probably isn't going to be there for a lot of educators. And so uh, we're pumping into a retirement system that may or may not be there when we get to that number of 85. I wasn't banking on it. Um, but anyway, sorry, I digress. I, I tend to get distracted. I have shiny object syndrome. Being an art teacher, it tends to happen. Um, uh, today, we're talking about when is it time to leave the classroom. And, and like I mentioned, we all go into this profession thinking this is going to be lifelong. I'm going to retire when I hit 55, 60, 65, whatever. I'm going to do this forever because I love kids. I love teaching. I love helping people. And it's going to be perfect and great. And while we know there are bumps and bruises along the way that educators are not necessarily um, well-respected in our communities, we everybody says that to our face, but when it comes down to it, we know that education is not well liked we they think we are money grabbing greedy people who just want more money in the classroom and while there's some truth to that there's also necessity to that we all know that who have been in the classroom um, our budgets have continued to just be slashed and we know that is impacting um, what's going on in the classroom and part of that is it's impacting the classroom because we are allowing it to impact the classroom so today, we're, why we need to leave the classroom, when is it time? Um, over the last couple of years, I've started to come to the realization that not every person was cut out to be an educator for 40 years. And we'll just use that as a big round number. Um, and in fact, most people are not cut out to be in any profession for 40 years. So if you think about graduating college, getting a degree, and entering the workforce, and we'll say 25 to make it an even number again, um, or a round number, I guess. That's an odd number. But uh, to make it a round number, at our 40 years of work, we're retiring when we hit 65. And that's kind of always been, you know, that's what's been drilled into us in society forever, is that magic number of 65. We want to retire. And so as educators, we want to perform that duty for 40 years and retire. And we want to be happy and healthy. The reality is that most educators are not happy and healthy by the time they get to 65 or when they reach that magic number of 85. They are burnt out uh, and ready to go usually between 10 and 15 years. They've kind of had enough, but why do we stick it out? We stick it out because we don't know what else to do. We don't, we feel like there's nowhere else to go. And we'll talk about that here in just a little bit. So over the last few weeks, there have been a, <clears throat> uh, well, let's jump, we won't jump into the videos yet. I've got a couple of videos I want to play some audio for you. Um, but I want to talk about my second gig, uh, my second full-time gig as a teacher and um, some experiences I had in there that have, that kind of tie into some audio from one of these videos and have really shaped my thoughts on on a, on a timeline or an expiration date for educators. So my second uh, gig in education full-time was teaching at a juvenile detention center where I live, and I absolutely loved it. <clears throat> I love working with at-risk kids. That's, 
bottom line, that is my favorite thing to do. My favorite population of students to work with. Um, if I, if you put two groups of students in front of me, I'm gonna choose the highest risk, highest risk group that I can. That's my preference. Um, so I was immediately drawn to the juvenile detention center when a position came open. I jumped on it. Um, became a classroom teacher. It was classroom two. I had 21 students, males, all high school. And at the time when I was teaching there, um, they were the most serious offenders. I got the I got the good ones, as the people said. I got the violent kiddos, um, the ones who are armed robbery. We had uh, shooters. We had murderers in there. We had gangbangers. Um, you know, we I pretty much had the gamut. I had car theft, a grand theft auto. We had aggravated assault. Um, I don't know. I had a kid. <laughs> his his street moniker was Chuck. And I asked why it was Chuck. And he said, because I got all the Chucks. I didn't know what Chucks were. Chucks are guns. And he was a weapons distributor for one of the gangs um, north of where I was at. I had no clue that these kids existed. So this was a very eye-opening experience for me. <clears throat> and in my first month or so, um, I realized that these kids aren't bad. They just made bad choices, right? We all know that. Educators who have been in it for a minute know that kids aren't bad inherently. They've made bad choices. They've, they've grown up around bad experiences. And so that's what they know. So they're not inherently bad. They just don't know any other way. And after about a month or so, I realized that these kids coming into my classroom every day needed more than what I was providing. And our system was set up to provide packets. We would provide a history packet for a kid who had a history credit. We would provide a science packet for a kid who was in biology, for example. And I had kids from all over the county. Um, if they attended a high school or lived in or committed a crime in our county, they were locked up in our juvenile detention center. And if it was serious enough, they got put into my classroom or old enough, they put into my classroom. And it was my job and my parents' job to find out where they went to school, what classes they were enrolled in, and then it, we had to put together a curriculum based on packets and worksheets for these kids. <clears throat> Oftentimes, the high schools didn't want to send work to the kids. They didn't want to gather work from the high schools, from their teachers, and mail it over to us. Sometimes kids were there for only three days, five days a week, and the time involved to do that wasn't worth it. So we would put together packets for these kids and they would complete these packets. My para and I, mostly my para, would grade them. And then we would hand them back. And if kids were there for an extended period of time, say for an entire semester, they had a contract to work off of. And if they finished all the work in that contract, they received the credit for that class. Not ideal, but it did keep the kids busy. And as I learned in my time there, that's what I was there to do, was to keep those kids busy, not necessarily engaged, but busy filling out these packets so that they could get some resemblance of an education. As I really started to pay attention to that situation, those kids were getting no education at all. Um, I sat behind a desk to start and we handed out the packets Then I would go sit back down and grade past packets that were completed 
answer a question here or there, whatever. That bored me to tears, and I can only imagine how bored the kids were as well. So I started implementing lessons, and I would pick out a lesson. We would do at least one lesson a week, if not one lesson a day, in different subjects. It may not be a subject that a kid had, but it was something that they could participate in and engage in. And I started to see better behavior, um, better language, better productivity, and better engagement for my kids when I started putting those lessons into play every day, every week. And not to say that my classroom was the favorite classroom, but I certainly didn't have behavior issues like some other classrooms did who chose to just stick with the packets. And I was 25, 26, um, new to the district, didn't feel like it was my place to step in and, and help those people out. That's what I had an administrator for. That's what we had instructional coaches for. And so I allowed them to kind of do that thing. As I learned in my time, um, I learned that we were kind of the armpit of the district. We um, Sometimes teachers got dumped on us. We often obviously had kids who had done something to get themselves in trouble. They were no longer in the school system for whatever reason. And the attitude amongst a lot of teachers and administrators that I talked to that work with those kids was, they're not our problem anymore, they're yours. And that absolutely broke my heart because most of the kids struggled with home stuff. And then they come to school and realize that their home school doesn't want to deal with it. So they just pass everything on to us. So they've been failed again, right? They've been let go again. <clears throat> so that's kind of that setup in our, in that facility, that building where I was at. And I'll tell you right now, um, I worked with some really good educators, but I also worked with some very frustrated educators. When I was brought in, I was hired under the premise that I would get my master's in special education. And at that point, I was willing to do anything to get a job. You want me to get a master's in special ed? I'm in. I'll do it. When it came down to it, though, and enrolling in the classes and the time commitment, because I was coaching football, <clears throat> we had a kid on the way. He's sitting right here now. Um, I couldn't commit to that. And I went to my supervisor, my administrator, and I said, I cannot commit to the special education program. So I fully understand if you want to um, uh, relieve me of my teaching duties and you want to bring somebody in who can do that or has the time, the time and the commitment to do that, I fully understand if that's what needs to happen. And he made the decision, nope, nope, we like what you're doing. We want to hang on to you. Um, that didn't necessarily make another teacher happy who I was supposed to relieve some of the special education responsibilities from. And I understand that. She was not a happy camper, and I probably wouldn't have been either. But there were things beyond my control. And I offered to step down. And I was told, no, you're going to stay. But here's where I really started to pay attention to teacher unhappiness, teacher grumpiness. I was in a back hallway one day walking from one side of the building to the other, <clears throat> and that teacher caught me and stopped me. And this teacher was a veteran. They'd been in a long time. I was a rookie, still brand new. And this teacher laid into me and told me how, how disrespectful it was to commit to something and then back out, how uh, I had 
completely upset the apple cart per se in that situation and was now all the the sped responsibilities and duties still fell on their desk um, and, and and really laid into me and so I kind of took it for a minute and then uh, things got kind of personal and that's when I stopped and I said I've, I've had enough if you don't like it go talk to our supervisor take it up with them but here's my responsibility and I'm gonna do that <clears throat> And uh, really never heard much from that teacher in that situation again. Um, now, down the road, we've crossed paths. That teacher since left that role and went and, and did special education in another high school. And is doing a great job. Much happier. Uh, really, really likes where they're at. And I've had conversations with that educator. I've worked very closely with that educator. We've shared students in my past role. And um, I'm so happy for that person that they were able to get out of a situation that wasn't good for them and move into something that was better. And so that kind of brings me into when is it time to leave the classroom? And in my 14 years in education, um, every year I ran into at least one educator where clearly it was time to do something else. And sometimes that doesn't mean leaving education. Sometimes that means leaving the position you're in and changing buildings. And we've got to be able to recognize when it's time to do that or when it's time to leave. And understand the difference between the two. And then the third option is things are going so well, we're going to stay. We're going to stay for the duration. Because you're making such an impact. Things are going great at home generally. Um, you're okay with the money that you're making. Um, and we're generally in a happy place. And so we'll talk about kind of that a little bit, and, and that's really where this this podcast is headed, not necessarily this episode, but the entire podcast of what I'm doing outside of education now is helping teachers and educators realize when it's time to go, when it's time to make a change, and when it's time to stay. That's the goal here. <clears throat> so over the past couple of weeks, uh, probably about a month or so, I guess, a couple of videos have surfaced, and I found it disturbingly funny in both situations because they're so freaking true. It's unbelievable. Um, two videos have surfaced. Here we go. One is a, a, an educator sitting behind a desk with a student frustrated and upset that all they've been done and and we're catching kind of the the tail end of this conversation between the student and the teacher but you can tell clearly the student is very upset that all that has been happening is packets being handed out and this that kind of ties back into my second um, gig in education where we were just handing out packets and I and I completely empathize with this student I I, I can put myself in the shoe in their shoes because that's what I was doing as an educator in my second year. And it was not fair to the kids. And I didn't realize how unfair it was until I really took a look at their situation. And, and man, I wouldn't like to do that as a student. I don't want to sit there and just be handing out packets. Don't, don't just give me busy work to kill the time. I want to do something. And that's what this student is talking about. The second video is of a teacher, and I'm sure most of you have seen this. It's kind of gone viral over social media. Uh, a teacher kind of loses her marbles and starts cutting the hair of, of a student 
and singing the national anthem. And then she starts going after some other students. And I pulled up a, a article from the New York Post. I think it was a Post. And they indicate in this article that the teacher's license had been suspended two other times. I find that absolutely fascinating that a teacher's license had been suspended twice and they still had a job. And so not knowing the full details of that situation, just on the surface, shame on the district or districts who continued to give her a job. She clearly, in this situation, needs some outside help and maybe is a situation where they're done. And we'll talk about both situations. So first, I want to play the video of the student who is reprimanding this teacher from, um, from just standing there giving packets, sitting behind her desk. So here we go. Here's the audio from this. Oh, I think I turned. Hang on. Technical difficulty. I did. I turned down the... Uh, I turned off the technical difficulties. Here we go. Hearing this freaking lady go off on kids because they don't freaking get this crap. If you would just get up and teach them instead of handing them a freaking packet, yo. There's kids in here don't learn like that. They need to learn face to face. You just get mad because I'm pointing out the obvious and you're too late. No, I'm not wasting your time. I'm telling you what you need to do. You want kids to come into your class? You want them to get excited yeah, for this? You got to come in here. You got to make them excited. You want a kid to change and start doing better? You got to touch his freaking heart. Can't expect a kid to change if all you do is just tell him. You got you to gotta take this job serious. This is the future of this nation. And when you come in here like you did last time and make a statement about, oh, this is my paycheck, indeed it is. But this is my country's future okay. and my education. I, I Can you go outside, please? I, I got but there's a limit when I'm not bitching, but simply making an observation. Okay, okay. And now I will leave. You're welcome. And if you would like, I'll teach you a little more so you can actually learn how to teach a freaking class. Because since I got here, I've done nothing but read packets. So don't try and take credibility for teaching me, Jack. So obviously, I don't know where this is. There's a Oklahoma State flag in the background. I think it's pretty clear that this either is taking place somewhere in Oklahoma, or we've got a teacher who's an alumnus uh, of Oklahoma State. Whatever, it, it really doesn't matter. The the reality is that this is a very, 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 very common situation in many classrooms in America. We've got teachers who are, are burnout or we're teaching to the test or today's a slow day because I didn't finish my lesson and so we're just going to get this packet done to kind of provide some supplementary materials on uh, the migration of whales. It doesn't really matter. The, the point is that this happens way too often and this one really, really hits home for me for several reasons. As I watched this video the first time, I'll never forget the first time I watched it, I could not believe how similar this student standing here was to one of my students in my very recent history. And, and I've just caught up with some teachers in my program where I was, and you know, the, the kid was gonna graduate. He came to us with no credits. He came to us wearing red 
high tops just like this kid does in the video. He wore the dicky pants, the dicky shirts. He's got long blonde hair just like my student was. And he came to us very frustrated about his past educational experience and, and the mannerisms, the physical mannerisms, the hand motions, everything is so similar to my student. And so that's why this one hits so close to home to me because I've witnessed teachers sitting behind desks. This is where my career started in the district that I left from was packets and teachers sitting behind desks. And I realized early on how unfair it was to the kids. That's not why they're there. They're required by law to go to school. And here we are sitting behind a desk and we're going to hand them something and demand that they get it done. And again, we don't know the full circumstance behind this. Maybe this was an off three minutes and the kid just lost his cool and didn't want to do another assignment for anything. And maybe the teacher just got done uh, presenting, you know, 40 minutes of the most amazing lesson, hands-on, engaging, encouraging uh, unit on I don't know, metal, I, it doesn't really matter. The point is the kid is creating or is stating something that is, in my opinion, an epidemic in our country, and we've got to fix this. And so when we talk about educators and when is it time for a transition to another building or program or school district, or is it time to go, or are you loving what you're doing and things are great? And based solely off of this video, things are not going well for this educator, and a change is needed. The question is, is there a change needed in scenery? And we need to go to a different building, different high school. Maybe we change levels. Maybe we're dual certified. Maybe we're math and science certified. We've been teaching science. And maybe it's time to go to math and change things up a little bit. Or is it now time for this educator to go? Maybe this educator has started a little side hustle, and they're making... Uh, you know, on a, on a given week, they can make an extra 1200 bucks selling um, handmade bags on Etsy. Uh, that's great. That's cool. But has that taken over your daily activities where now you're just sitting behind the desk collecting your check because nobody's paying attention to you because your administrator's too swamped to come in and observe? Or maybe you've already been observed. And now you know it's not going to happen for another quarter or another semester. And so now you're sitting back behind your desk handing out the packets because nobody said boo to you. But you're still making your 1200 bucks a week on Etsy selling handbags. If that's the case, it's time to go. Leave because you're not doing these kids any justice at all. The kids are there for a reason. Most of them, believe it or not, want to learn something. They don't want to be have handed packets to them where they sit there and they fill them out, turn them in, and then they jump on their phones. A lot of kids do want to be on their phones. But if you really get down to the nitty-gritty, kids want to learn. They want to be engaged. They want to know that you care about them. And in this situation, you know, we don't know the, the real specifics, but clearly a change is needed. This teacher either needs to go to a different level, a new content, or a different building or new district, or needs to get out altogether. Give this kid a break. He's standing up for what sounds like to be right. Nobody else was going to do it, so he did it himself. Second video is the one of the teacher in California at a um, charter school. Clearly, there's a chemical imbalance somewhere in the brain here with this educator, and no person in their right mind would set a student down 
force a student to sit down and cut their hair and then go after other kids. So here's the here's the audio of this video. And you can hear her, she's singing the national anthem. She clips a piece of hair from this kid or a chunk of hair from this kid, throws it over her shoulder, it bounces off the whiteboard, and then the video, cell phone video cuts to her going after other students in the classroom. So here we go. So uh, it's a short clip, but towards the end of that, she's trying to, she's got a hold of another student, a, long, a, a female student with long hair, and is getting ready to try and cut that student's hair. And by then, everybody, all the students are rushing out of the classroom. She's kind of going after just whoever she can get a hold of. Um, the teacher, you know, following up from that, the teacher was let go, will not return to that district. And I would hope, and I, you know, I don't know that, I've not seen any other articles. I've not dug real deep either, but I would hope that that license has been revoked and the teacher will no longer be allowed to, to go in the classroom. So let's talk about that. We've got three options. Um, stay, because things are going so well for you that you can't you know, see yourself doing anything else and the kids are just so engaged and enthralled with what you're doing in the classroom. Um, or we can transfer or change curriculum, change content areas, or change grade level, or we can get the hell out of there because it's just simply not working. Again, not knowing the full situation, I think it's pretty clear that things aren't going well. You just went after a kid with scissors. You cut one kid's hair. You deserve to be fired. You've been arrested, and you've had charges pressed against you. Things are not going well, so you don't get to stay um, in that situation. Do you transfer? Nope. You've just been arrested. You probably picked up a felony with some um, aggravated assault with a weapon. I don't know what the charges were, but that's my guess. Uh, so you don't get to stay at all. You've been fired. You're going to lose your license. It's clearly time to do something else. The problem is that we are not figuring these things out before it's too late. And unfortunately, teachers are snapping, right? Now, this is a pretty severe case but we've seen it uh there was a video a while back of a music teacher and a kid was calling him a name it was a racist name and you know i i followed a lot of the comments on that video and there was a lot of information saying they don't blame the teacher for being upset the reality is though as an educator you're not in a position to take physical action against a kid you just simply aren't we need to be better than that um i i don't know what i would do if a, teach, if a kid was calling me racist names, I can tell you I've been called a lot of names as an educator. But I feel like I was in a good enough space where I didn't take it personally. And I was able to kind of deflect that and help the student realize that they've got something else going on in their lives that uh, allowed them to act out in that situation. And so very rarely did I take the things that a student said to me personally. <clears throat> but that's me. I was in a different space as an educator. Um, I had a different mindset, I think, than a lot of a lot of educators. Um, and so, those are you know two examples, recent examples this school year, of educators that things aren't going well. 
and a change needs to happen, whether they leave or whether they make a transition within their district or to another district to maybe teach a different content area. The question is, how do we know? How do we know when it's time to make a change or whatever? And the answer really is quite difficult, but it's also quite simple. It really depends on your current situation and what you've got going on. So I always lean back to the three pillars, the physical pillar, financial, and the emotional pillar. So the financial obviously is is the money component, right? If you are leading a lifestyle that you want to drive a Lamborghini and you want to eat five course meals five nights a week and you want to have a personal chef and a personal um, uh, <laughs> a personal assistant to help you dress and pick out your clothes, those things are expensive and those are simply things that we cannot do on an educator's salary. We've got to learn how to live within our means. But if that is the lifestyle that you need, then you simply should not be working in education or you better have a hell of a side hustle making the money, making you the money on the side that you need to support that habit, those, those things that you want. So there's the financial component. We've got to get right with that. The emotional component, our personal development. We've got to be able to, when a student tells us to F off or calls us a racial slur, we've got to be able to understand where that's coming from in that kid. And we may initially not know where that's coming from. The kid may have just had the hell beat out of him on the way to school. And you can't see it because it's covered up underneath his coat. But he's pissed and he's coming after somebody. Because he couldn't do it in the car. He was defenseless. But he's coming after you at school. He's going to call you every name in the book. You've got to figure out where that's coming from. And if you're not good with you, in your heart and in your mind, you're not going to be able to understand where it's coming from in that kid. You're not going to be able to have the capacity to ask, hey, where's this coming from? Or to have the patience and take the time to figure out where it's coming from. So we've got the emotional pillar and then the physical pillar. If we're not feeling good about our weight or how our clothes fit or what we had for breakfast, we wish we'd have had an egg white omelet with spinach and peppers and instead we had a honey bun and Dr. Pepper. If we're not feeling good about those things, we're not going to be able to, to, to walk into the building in an emotional place. So we've got to get right with all those three things. Um, and that's, that's what I figured out over my last few years. I was extremely unhappy financially. I was, I came from a small town and where generally men provided, right? This is kind of how I grew up and, you know, my dad had a good job, but it was never enough. We all, he always wanted more. We always wanted more and and he worked really hard to, to provide for that. Um, and my mom took on jobs to help provide and give us the things that we wanted, not necessarily needed. We had what we needed, but there was extra things we wanted. Um, and, and, and so I've always had a desire to want more financially. That was early on in my career. I also wasn't good physically where I was at with my weight. I wanted to be in better shape. I wanted to be in the shape I was when I graduated high school, when I played football and baseball my senior year and was in great shape, great physical shape. And then I got to college and that physical shape, you know, went away and got my first job and then met my wife and we started having kids and my physical features changed and I wasn't happy with that. But I also wasn't willing to invest the time or the money 
to make those changes necessary early on in my career. I figured it out late. And then the emotional side. Um, Again, growing up in a small town, you just kind of tough some things out. There wasn't a lot of people to talk to. We had a school counselor, but my school counselor only talked to the people that um, had the financial means to go to college. And those are the people that they guided. I don't remember having a social worker in high school. I remember having a social worker in elementary school. And she was a lifesaver. Um, when my parents got divorced in third grade, I thought it was the end of the world. And I'll tell you right now, if I didn't have Mrs. Kim Mercer in my life when I was in third grade, it might have been the end of my world. I absolutely hated my life when my mom and my stepdad got divorced. Hated it. I was so extremely unhappy. But I looked forward to the weekly, I think it was weekly meetings with Ms. Mercer, Ms. Kim. I looked forward to those meetings with her. Oreos, snacks, games. And they were all, it was all boys who were going through some stressful, uh, traumatic event in their life. And when you're nine, eight, nine years old, uh, divorce is pretty traumatic. Because two people you loved are not happy anymore. One person that you um, thought was one with somebody and you find out they're not even close to the person you thought they were. That's a heartbreaker. That's a deal breaker for a lot of kids. And when they don't have that support, man, it can be the end for some of them. And it almost was. But I was very fortunate to have that person when I was younger. Um, Ms. Mercer always stayed in touch with me through middle school. I don't remember so much from high school. I have some concussions to thank for that in sports. But I still stay in touch with her today. Thank goodness for um, Facebook and being able to connect socially with her. She still lives back home. She's doing great. And um, I love touching base with her. And and so um, I kind of lost track where I was going with that. Uh, but so, so anyway, uh, taking back to the, the physical, emotional, financial pillars, we as educators have got to be in touch with those things. And if we're not, if we're not at least paying attention to and working on those three, they're never going to be perfect. And if you think they are, well, this isn't going to work. It's something that you've always got to be striving for to be perfect, but understanding that perfection is not going to happen. We can always improve. When I started reading daily a couple of years ago, there have been very few days where I have not read for at least 15 or 20 minutes. Very few. I can probably count the number of those days on two hands. Maybe one. Because I don't keep track of them. But I know it's very few. And that has probably been, besides my physical fitness, getting in shape, emotionally reading and being in touch with myself and what my needs are emotionally has been a game changer for me. And I would not have been able to make the decision to leave education when I did if I was not um, confident in my three pillars. And those are things that I've worked on for the last two years. And I continue to work on every single day. So let's kind of jump into the emotional pillar, that, that mindset pillar. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've been reading... <coughs> Excuse me, water. <clears throat> this head cold, chest cold thing's killing me. Ah. 
uh, for the last couple of weeks, I've been reading Lynchpin by Seth Godin. And if you pay attention to my Instagram or Facebook, I've, I've been so heavy on this book, man. It is such a relevant and tac- tactical book. So much good information that we can take from this, not just as educators, but as human beings. And so right now I want to talk to you about the resistance. I'm going to read just a little bit from this. And then we're going to jump into <clears throat> symptoms of the lizard brain. And what is holding us back from making that change? Whether we're changing buildings or content or making or, or making the leap out of education. We're going to talk about what's kind of holding us back. So let's first, if you've never heard about the lizard brain, it's a fascinating concept uh, based on wildlife, based on, on animals. <clears throat> um, the lizard brain, this is what Seth Godin says. Uh, this section is called The Resistance, Your Lizard Brain. The lizard brain is hungry, scared, angry, and horny. And I'll jump down. The lizard brain cares what everyone else thinks because status is the tri- status in the tribe is essential to its survival. Jump down a little bit farther. <clears throat> the only correct answer to why did the chicken cross the road is because its lizard brain told it to. Wild animals are wild because the only brain they possess is the lizard brain. The lizard brain is not merely a concept, it's real. And it's living on the top of your spine, fighting for survival. But of course, survival and success are not the same thing. The lizard brain is the reason you're afraid. The reason you don't do all the art you can. The reason you don't ship when you can. The lizard brain is the source of resistance. This section, this chapter, this entire chapter on resistance has been maybe the most fascinating um, section I've read in all the books I've been reading for the last two years. It explains so much why we talk about getting started on something, why we talk about doing something, and then we don't do it. Basically, the, the, lizard, the lizard brain invokes fear. I don't know who that was. My phone was on, apparently. I'm sorry. Um, the lizard brain invokes fear. It keeps us from doing the things that we want to go do. So let's talk about some symptoms of the lizard brain and why if you've thought about making a change in education or starting a side hustle, making some money on the side to supplement the income that you need to to support the lifestyle that you want, but you still love, so passionate about kids and education, you want to stay, right? So we want to make that change financially so that we can stay in education emotionally and physically. So let's talk about some symptoms of the lizard brain. The resistance is everywhere, all the time. Its goal is to make you safe, which means invisible and unchanged. Visibility is dangerous. It leads to the possibility of people laughing at you or even death. Change is dangerous because it involves moving from the known to the unknown, and that might be dangerous. So the, reasons, the, re, so the resistance is wily. It works to do one of two things, get you to fit in and become invisible, or get you to fail, which makes it unlikely that positive change will arrive, thus permitting you to stay still or dead. I threw that part in. Here are some signs that the lizard brain is at work. Now, as I read through these myself, I've encountered all of them. Every single one of them made sense to me and hit home, struck a chord deep inside. So as you listen to this, Really take inventory. How many of them have you encountered yourself 
how many of them have kept you from making the jump into something? And when, when Seth Godin talks about ship, he basically is talking about doing it, taking action, going, making a product, ship, making a website, launch, leaving one position and going to the other, shipping, right? Making the move. Here we go. Don't ship on time. Late is the first step to never. Procrastinate, claiming that you need to be perfect. Ship early, sending out defective ideas, hoping they will be rejected. Suffer anxiety about what to wear to an event. Make excuses involving lack of money. Do excessive networking with the goal of having everyone like you and support you. Engage in deliberately pro provocative behavior designed to ostracize you so you'll have no standing in the community. That's sabotage right there, folks. <clears throat> Demonstrate a lack of desire to obtain new skills. Spend hours on obsessive data collection. Jeffrey Eisenberg reports that 79% of businesses obsessively capture internet traffic data, yet only 30% of them change their sites as a result of the analysis. Be snarky. Start committees instead of taking action. Join committees instead of leading. Excessively criticize the work of your peers, thus unrealistically raising the bar for your work. Produce deliberately outlandish work product that no one can possibly embrace. Ship deliberately average work product that will certainly fit in and be ignored. Don't ask questions. Ask too many questions. Criticize anyone who's doing something differently. If they succeed, that means you'll have to do something differently too. Start a never-ending search for the next big thing, abandoning yesterday's things as old. Embrace an emotional attachment to the status quo. Invent anxiety about the side effects of a new approach. Be boring. Focus on revenge or teaching someone a lesson at the expense of doing the work. Slow down as the deadline for completion approaches. Check your work obsessively as the ship date looms. Wait for tomorrow. Manufacture anxiety about stealing your ideas. When you find behaviors that increase the chances of shipping, stop using them. <clears throat> Believe it's about gifts and talents, not skill. Announce you have neither. The list is unusual in that I'm highlighting the up and down and the left and the right. Any direction you go instead of the direction that it succeeds is the work of the resistance. It's interesting to say it out loud. I'm doing this because of the resistance. My lizard brain is making me anxious. I'm angry right now because being angry is keeping me from doing my work. When you say it out loud, not think it, but say it, the lizard brain retreats in shame. Maybe the most significant portion of that book for me, that's from The Lynchpin, or it's called Lynchpin by Seth Godin. Just a couple of quick examples. <clears throat> uh, this episode should have been made about a month ago. And then the holidays hit. And we all have, you know, a Christmas weekend that's before the time because that's when everybody can get together. Um, you know, for me, we had a death in my family with my uncle. We knew it was coming, right? He took himself off of kidney dialysis and made the decision that he didn't want to do it anymore. So we know we knew that was coming. Um, we had family in town multiple weekends. A lot of reasons and opportunities this podcast this episode didn't happen um, a month ago, but all of them are because of the lizard brain. I knew that 
some of the things in here were a little controversial and leaving education and whatnot. And I'm always hesitant in that. But I'm starting to fully understand and realize how important the controversial topics are for us in education, for us to be able to make the true changes that are needed. And so when I read that, I knew that had to be a part of this episode and talking about why it's important we understand when it's time to leave or when it's time to make a change. Um, if you have followed any little bit of work from Seth Godin, I highly, highly encourage you to pick this book up. It is phenomenal. While most of the books I read are business, it is amazing to me how all of them relate to education. We just, we're looking at them wrong. or We're, diff- we're looking at them different. We've got to change our mindset and how we, how we look into things. Um, uh, checking my notes here. I want to make sure that I uh, don't forget anything. Um, so as, as we start to, as you start to take inventory about where you're at in your career, maybe you're in year seven, maybe you're year in three, maybe you're in year 18. And, and that nagging thought of, is it time for me to leave? Should I have left already? Or can I stick this out to make my magic number so that I can retire? As you think about those things, it's really important to put the kids first. Is what I'm doing every day still good for kids? And when I come home, am I still good for my family? That was probably the number one motivator for me was I was no longer good for my family at home. I wasn't fair to my kids. I didn't have everything left to give to my wife and my kids. I came home angry most days or exhausted most days, not because of my students, but because of some adults who refused to make changes that were clearly good for kids. This wasn't about us as the adults or what was good for me or what was good for them. It should have been about what was good for kids and it wasn't being done that way. And I couldn't personally be a part of that anymore because it frustrated me and it angered me to the point that I was no longer good for for the people most important in my life for my wife and my kids and I so I needed to make that change I would not have been able to make that change however if I hadn't invested in myself physically emotionally and financially understanding those three pillars to help me make the change that I did in June to make it official So how do you get there as an educator? As we kind of wrap this episode up, how do we get there as an educator? First and foremost, you need to be honest with yourself. You need to understand where your ego lies. You need to understand and ask yourself the question, am I still good for kids? And if you can't honestly step out of your ego and answer that question, then it's probably time to make a change. If the answer is, yeah, I'm still good for kids, and you're able to step out of your ego, kudos to you. Kill it. Keep doing what you're doing because you're clearly in the right spot. But if the answer is no, 
what I'm doing is not good for kids. It's not good for me. It's not good for my family. I'm sitting behind a desk every day. I'm watching, I'm putting videos on for kids. I'm handing out packets. I'm frustrated with the assessments. I'm frustrated every day that my budget has been cut. I'm frustrated that I have to keep digging into my own pocket. I'm frustrated that I'm still only making $45,000 a year, and I've been in this for 17 years. Folks, there are things that you are not going to be able to change in education, but what you can change is directly related to you. And while that seems selfish, when you really think about what's good for kids, is you walking into the classroom pissed off every single day, begrudgingly handing out another packet good for kids? Or is you being good with what you make because you know it's not going to change? Letting the budget crisis bounce off and roll off your shoulder. Throwing a smile on and engaging with kids. Asking thoughtful questions. Engaging in thoughtful communication and conversation with the kids and truly caring about them. If you can still do that, my friends, stay. You belong where you're at. But if the answer to those questions are no, I don't. I can't. I hate it. Then do the kids a favor. Step out. Go do something else. You can always come back. But take a break. Do something good for the kids. Because that's what it's about. Right? Um, as I leave you with this episode today, uh, I do want to plug a little bit our virtual professional development, personal development. Um, I, PD has always been a thorn in the side of most educators. Typically we get in front of or get set down at the table and we fill out the name card in the tent and put it on the table. We get our donuts and our coffee and we sit down and we chat with our neighbor. How was your break? It was great. I don't think I can do this today. I don't know why we're here. This doesn't apply to me. I'm never going to use this in my classroom or in my building. We've all heard those things. So what I'm doing uh, January 3rd, tomorrow, January 3rd, is I'm doing a virtual professional development. I'm calling it virtual PD. For me, PD has always been personal development. But if you have professional development stuck in you and that's what you need it to be called, then it's professional development for you. But for me, it's PD. That was the thing that I always felt like we lacked when I was still in the classroom, when I was still in the building, um, uh, being a part of that. Uh, so virtual PD tomorrow on my Growth for Educators Facebook page. It's at Growth, the number four, Educators. You can find us there. I'm going to be talking about, there will probably be some live video. There will pro, be some writing, some posts. Um, we're going to, I'm going to put out some of my favorite books, some of my favorite podcasts and some of my favorite people to follow to help guide you in this decision of staying in the classroom or leaving the classroom or, um, changing from one content or building to the other, making that transition. Um, I'm going to put out some information, some content of people that have helped guide me in that decision. And that have been really healthy for me so that as you sit through your PD session tomorrow and things are not 
as exciting as they could be, and I know you're going to be on your phone, you can at least jump to this and maybe pick up a title of a book or an author to, to maybe check out. Um, maybe there will be something that will inspire you to help guide you through your classroom. There will be no instructional strategy whatsoever in this. There will be no content creation for art teachers or math teachers or whatever. No assessment strategies. Nothing like that. It is all personal development. Because I truly believe when we're checked into our financial, emotional, and physical pillars, we will truly be better educators in the classroom. And we will truly begin to be good for kids again. It doesn't matter what your administrator throws at you or what your district hands down as the new next best thing, whether you believe in it or not. That doesn't matter. If you're checked in and engaged with yourself, you're going to be able to do those things, do them well, and continue to thrive and be happy in your classroom. And that's truly why we want to stay where we're at. So that's what tomorrow's about. Virtual PD, January 3rd, on our Facebook Growth for Educators page. Um, send me a message if you want in. I'll have this stuff there. I'm going to try and create a group for those educators who, who want specifically just that. Otherwise, it will just be out on, the, on the, the general page. And I'll probably throw some stuff over on our Instagram page as well, at Growth for Educators, the same title, the same um, handle. Growth, the number four, and educators. Thanks again for listening. Uh, I truly enjoy talking about education and helping make it better. That, I realize, has become my passion. And where I was at to begin with was always looking for that improvement in the classroom and in the building. And uh, so I, I thank you for taking the time to listen today. And I hope you get something good out of this. As always, if you have a question or you need a little mentoring on making that transition or you're not quite sure where to start, please, please, please send me a message. You can um, email me at, um, um, oh, snap, my email just went blank. Hang on, I got it up here. Well, you can find me on Instagram at growth number four educators. You can send me a message there. You can uh, find me on Twitter, Coach Mac two four at yeah at Coach Mac twenty four. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Growth for Educators. Oh, our email. <laughs> it is I found it. It is growth the number four educators at gmail.com. Yep. A little brain slip right there. Uh, again, head cold, chest cold, man. Not feeling great today, but there it is. So episode three, um, thank you again for checking it out. Please share, uh, subscribe. If you haven't already, leave us a review. It would, I would love to hear from you and that if it's helped you in any way. This is something that we need to have happen and make changes um, through our uh through education system we've got to have changes and, and i believe this is where it's going to start so thanks again for checking it out today have an amazing start to your second semester and if there's anything i can ever ever do please do not hesitate to reach out peace